1: Welcome to the next edition of Talking Yang, the international sort of kind of NFL fantasy football podcast. Chris List, Jeff Erickson here for roughly about an hour. I want to thank fantasydraft.com. They are a sponsor for this podcast. Lord knows why, but they are. We thank them probably because of the other RotoWire podcast, not because of us, but
2: hey, you get us too. So there you go. Uh, Chris, how was your week five? Uh, it was okay. You know, I, I tend to get really miserable about the things that go wrong, but it wasn't that bad. I was like seven, seven and one, or seven and seven. I uh, must have been seven, six and one against the spread. I got to figure it out. We're six, seven and one because there's one more game left, and you know, two, two and one in the Super Contest. Some of my teams didn't do that well. Some of them did really well, and just sort of a mediocre. It wasn't a disaster, but it was just kind of a a mediocre week. What about yourself?
1: Pretty good. By the way, I, I might be able to give you some good news. Uh, which side did you have on staff picks for Dallas-Houston?
2: Oh, I I had Dallas. I know I covered on that. Oh, okay. right. That wasn't a push. That right. was not that's a push. Right. You that's won why, that. That's why I'm 7-7. Seven and seven. That's why I'm 7-7. I'm 5-9. I'm getting
1: wrecked this week. but just And yeah. just stupid stuff, too. Like, I should know better than to take – you know, Titans minus three and a half on the road? Come on. I know it's all baked all right. in, but that was just that was just so obvious after the fact. You know, it's like, oh, what was I doing? And then I, I think by the time we got around to, you know, to uh, st- like talking about staff picks on Thursday, I was already regretting my Colts pick against the Patriots too. You know, there's a couple of things like that where I was just like, oh, I'm so on the square side here. Uh, oh, well, so it goes.
2: No, but the Colts was not the square side. No, the Colts think, wasn't.
1: Think- You're right. But the Titans was um, – so was uh, – the Rams were kind of a square pick. I uh, should have known better I still
2: – you know, the Rams were the squares to the square. And even Rufus Peabody, they had like – Rams minus three was their line, so they had Seattle as one of their picks. Mm-hmm. And I watched the game. And, it, you know, it, it's funny because games go like that. Like the Rams are the better team. They move the ball more smoothly despite losing two of their receivers to concussions. And you're like, they could just – this is just so easy for the Rams. And then there was all this like BS, like when, when Cooks got totally – Knocked out helmet to helmet. They didn't even call a penalty on that. And there's just all sorts of like they missed an extra point. There's just a lot of garbage in that game. And I was like, the Rams, I get it. You go to Seattle, the crowd's loud. There's a bunch of timeouts they had to burn. There's a bunch of false starts. There's all the shit that happens in Seattle, and it's a reason why you don't lay major wood on the road, especially in a place like that. But I don't know, man. They they still won, and that was with – you know, Seattle averaging like six and a half yards a carry, something that was kind of unforeseeable. Just those running backs running shot over the Rams defense over Sue and Donald. I mean, that was very hard to foresee. And even with that, the Rams won the game despite losing two of their guys to concussions, which obviously was unforeseeable. So I don't really feel like I get it. It was wrong and it played out basically how you would want it to play out if you were took Seattle. But it did. It, that wouldn't deter me. Like if those two teams met again in Seattle next week, and they and Cooks and Cup were healthy, I would take the Rams all over again.
1: Yeah, you might. Yeah, you might be right. I think that there is something developing though. That you know, their the defense has some cracks in it. That they are exploitable a little bit against the run. Uh, that Marcus Peters is exploitable a little bit in the passing game. They they really do miss uh, Akeem Talib. I think.
2: Yeah. No. I think that is that is big um, missing Talib and, uh, and Peters just doesn't seem like himself. So yeah, no, they're, they're, and you know, they're going to get Zerline back, which is another just crazy advantage. I mean, they, they kind of imploded at the end of the first half Zerline Zerline kick a 60 yarder. I mean, no problem. So they're just, they'll be, you know, especially in
1: Denver where they're playing this week.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I won't tell you the line or what side I took yet, but I just took a, an early glance on it. Okay. Yeah. Don't tell me the line. yet. definitely don't. I won't, I won't. Yeah. You can figure it out for yourself, but, um, I, I'm a real, I, I just think the Rams are, are like the Patriots. And it's the other reason I took the Patriots on Thursday night first, cause I love Thursday night home teams, but also because they're just like the Rams. Like they don't, they don't just trade the clock for margin. And and you you saw it even at the very end. I think uh, the Patriots are running out the clock and on third and four, or whatever they threw to get the first down. They don't even want the other team to get the ball back for the backdoor cover. And I know they're not thinking about the cover. At least I don't think they are. But if, you, if you're one of those teams that, that runs it three times and then punts, because you're like, okay, we took the maximum amount of time off the clock, the other team's going to backdoor cover on you. Even if they're probably not going to get the subsequent onside and win, They're going to backdoor cover. But if you're the Rams or or the Patriots, you just get the first down. You just don't even give up the ball ever. On that third and four, you're throwing if you have to. Yeah,
1: especially because it's going to be an easy throw more often than not, too. That's the funny thing.
2: A Uh, play action, little toss to the tight end, cutting across something easy. And the thing thing about those teams is that I don't think the model on which the spread and the power rankings are based really take into account – that fact. I think most teams, they take into account that once you've got the game won, then margin shrinks. And the whole basis for what the spread should be is based off of that whole fact. And it is. I mean, sometimes you're, you've got the favorite, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're way better, but they don't care. This game's over. So you, you realize the points. You're like, ah, I should have taken the points. It's hard to consistently win by seven, eight, nine points against a team that's not a total doormat. And I think the Rams and the Patriots are the exceptions. Now, Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but the Patriots, I think have covered like 58% of the time since Belichick's first season as the, the coach there.
1: Yeah. And that's more remarkable than people realize,
2: I think too, uh, that that's a bigger, oh, margin. It's unheard of. Yeah. It's a big sample. It's, you know, we're talking about 250 games or more. It's a lot.
1: Right. And to consider that the best spread pickers, you know, they usually are 55% in a season, you know, to go 58
2: over this whole time. is just crazy. Yeah. I mean the best guy, I mean, Massey Peabody Rufus legit gambler, successful. He showed me on like two, three hundred picks, I can't remember how many over a few years. They're fifty-five percent, fifty-five point something. And that's good. That's what a professional does. 55 plus. Yeah. Nobody's getting fifty-five on, you know, in one season on 250. I mean, you can get 60 on one season. We did it back in the day, but it's that's not a reliable, that can happen once in a blue moon, but you're not going to get that, nobody gets that every year. So, you know, picking the game is four or five a week, your very best games, if you're really, really good, you can expect 55.
1: Right, that's right. Um, we should start with the big news of the day, and it's kind of funny how this has evolved. Earlier, the, Doug Peterson had a press conference, and he goes, yeah, we probably should have run Ajay more. J.J. had already said he needed the ball more. Just before we started this uh, podcast, News comes out, JGI is going on IR. He's got a torn ACL.
2: Yeah, that uh, that's not IR to return. Torn ACL is IR. IR to IR. To IR. Yeah. 19. And I've got Wendell Largewood, and I'm very, you know, I don't want to, you know, do a victory dance on JHI's injury, but um, man, you know, it changes quickly. And, and the Eagles are still a little out of sync. Their offense isn't really right, but. Smallwood seems to be the pass catcher because Sproles has been out. Clement's banged up and they throw to Smallwood. he had three catches for like 40 yards and he got a a receiving touchdown in that game. I mean, he could be one of those weird sort of non-star mid-season difference maker backs that always emerge every year. There's always like, remember Justin Forsett a few years ago and guys like that emerge. They're not. Marion Foster in wick week 15 emerges and then
1: now he's a star for a year, a few
2: years. Right. Yeah. Aaron Foster was a star for half a decade. So like, I don't, I mean, it's possible that Smallwood becomes that, but I think he's probably not, but that is different when Jamal Charles or Aaron Foster or David Johnson emerge late. This is, I'm not hoping for, I'm not counting on, (laughs) I'm just hoping for like six to eight weeks of, of a really good use. This on a is good more option.
1: like Peyton Hillis, you know. It's, yeah. Except Peyton Hillis was in Week One. It was the only difference.
2: Yeah, but. he had a monster year. Yeah, Peyton Hillis. I think Justin Forsett's a good comp because it wasn't yeah. right at the beginning of the year, and it was probably like Week Two for him. But yeah, so a mid-season guy who's not going to be a long-term having a huge career, but it might really help you for one year. Right.
1: So uh, yeah, and I have a couple shares of Smallwood. I have a couple shares of Corey Clement. You know, Clement and sproles were out again now that might change this week uh it's a short week though it's a thursday game so there's actually a pretty decent chance that you know clement can't go again we'll see or or sproles or both so it could be a heavy dose of smallwood
2: yeah Uh, i i mean i don't not really worried about clement smallwood's probably not going to be a 25 carry guy so i mean if smallwood can get 13 carries a game yeah and four catches on a good offense and today's nfl
1: that's a startable player
2: yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Clements a danger to him because I think somebody's going to split carries. I don't think I think Sproles is done. I mean, he's thirty five. He got hurt right away. He's just too old. I think you're probably right about that. So
1: yeah, but it, it's definitely a thing. I have zero Ajayi, not even in MFLs. So uh, I that's one that I don't have to spring to action on. I, you know, I, that's one bullet I dodge. But I, and it's not like I was even avoiding him. I just kept on thinking he was going earlier than I'd like because the timeshare. And or more also because that's when I wasn't looking at running back. So I was still looking at receivers where he was going.
2: Yeah, I think I have a bet with Dalton Don that he took a jai and I took somebody. And whoever it is, I'm probably going to win. So I've got to look that Leonard up. Leonard Fournette, yeah, you might not. <laughs> I'd, I, I guess I'd have to take Fournette at this point. All I've got to do is play a couple games. Yeah. Well, one game, one game. Go- yep, that's right.
1: Speaking of Leonard Fournette, he's doubtful for week six against the Cowboys
2: what a waste I mean, what a waste i don't understand it and Corey grant's out for the year so all that's left is tj yeldon yeah they'll pick up somebody obviously for this week because you can't go into the game with one back but yeah weems is the backup right now uh but yeah and they're no
1: they're, they're by weeks nowhere in sight either too so uh that that's a kind of a tough thing there too uh but uh yeah i yeah i that's a really tough situation there for them um yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to react. So they've got they've got Dallas. That's at Dallas in that game. Um, the Two bye week teams are Detroit, and New Orleans. By the way, uh, so if you want to start looking ahead, it's just another two team bye week again. Third week in a row of that.
2: Yeah, I like the two team bye weeks. When you get um, Pianowski talks about this, the skinny buys versus the, I guess the fat buys, which is that if you have a guy who's on a team that's off on the sixth. Team by a week. It means it's much harder to find replacements for them on right. your own team or elsewhere, and you're likely to have other guys off the same week. So your your bench is going to be clogged. So if you have injuries and stuff, you really get put to the test. Right? You're and, like, oh, uh, can I really hold Greg Olson? Can I really, you know, what do right. I do with Fournette? You know, you, you get really stuck if you have a defense like the Bears. I had the Bears off last week. It was a skinny buy, two teams. I was able to keep them. You know, and and so now I, you know, got through the buy, and I've got one of the best defenses. But if you were on a, a sixteen buy. You put, you'd be put in a situation where you're like, am I going to take a zero somewhere? Am I going to drop the bears? Or am I going to drop Fournette? Or am I going to drop someone I want to drop? So, you know, when those fat buys come, um, it's tough. And so, it, you know, Pianowski, I think this is good advice. It may be a little too much during draft day, but during your draft, but find out like which two or three weeks are the worst. Four weeks of the four team buys are bad, but the six is the absolute worst. And all things being equal, default to a guy who's not on the 16 buy.
1: Yeah. God forbid you have two guys on the same team how much that how much worse that could be too so that's also worth watching so week seven week eight there are four teams on by for each of those weeks still going through all the rest of this here, just to kind of give a heads up week nine six teams that's gonna be a tough one there cincy indy giants philly arizona jacksonville so just it's coming it's coming sooner than you think
2: yeah well luckily Fournette will be hurt and on by that week. So yeah, so
1: he'll finally get a full week of rest. We won't have to have any day-to-day updates on him. Week so 10, week that'll 10. He'll be, that'll be able big. to
2: relax a little bit there. I, I just, you know, the thing is you lose trust of these guys. Like, can I really count the, on Fournette being himself at any point this year? I mean, he tried to come back week four, and it just failed. It's really, you know, who's to say it's not going to fail again next time? Yeah. The really tough part that's really grating, too, is – this whole
1: thing would have worked. You saw how Yeldon ran yesterday. Now, again, it's against the Chiefs who are pretty vulnerable against the run. But they, they've kind of built this offense to, have, to kind of run through the tailback. He gets a lot of passes. He gets a lot of carries. And it was going to be Fernet, a great year.
2: Thornette would have been an absolute monster in this situation. They were going to throw to him. They were going to do everything. He had lost 20 pounds. He was and, in shape. And now and, instead you
1: know, of uh, that sort of monster, he's the, bo- uh, he's the boogeyman. And we don't really even know if he exists.
2: Yeah, I mean it's really um, the other guy in the Eagles. I'm just looking at some tweets. Is Josh Adams is the guy that would yeah. would play if, if uh, Clement Clement was active but didn't play. Uh, Darren Sproles. I don't. I just uh, again. I'm, I don't think Sproles is toast. So Josh Adams could be a pickup. I mean Smallwood may not you know be durable or good enough to survive more than a week or two. You know? So it could be anybody at this point. That's right. Um, but yeah, the four net thing is just he would have been a monster. He's terrible. You know, P and and I got into it on the radio just whether I should have known because of his injury history yeah. and that injury predictor site, I, you know, if we're the same injury or he had a pre existing injury that got aggravated, if you draft Doug Baldwin, like I did in the stake league with the knee injury, hoping for the discount that he'd be fine. That's on me. I don't, I don't know, man, for, with a totally different injury. I'll say this though.
1: You know, we dismiss these things at our peril. At least we should look into it. And, you know, you know, it's just like just the threat of love Le- bells, holdout lasting longer. Like, eh, it's not going to happen. Until it does, you know, ah, no, no, no. You
2: know. no, nobody, nobody would have thought. Nobody would have said Leonard Fournette cannot get hurt. There's no way he's going to suffer a soft tissue injury this year. It's not being. You, you wouldn't dismiss that. You would just dismiss it relative to anyone else. You'd be like, yeah, Todd Gurley can suffer. I'm just saying, a like injury,
1: injury predictor, too. though. In general, I mean, they, maybe they're onto something. I mean, maybe it's you know, there or not, anything or else, anything any other because factor because
2: that people sight onto anything because they're not analyzing Fournette's particular anatomy. Okay. And that's, not code, that's not code for anything. No. Um, they're, they're, they're basically just taking general trends. Whenever you, you have, uh, you know, whenever you have a, an algorithm that's like, in situations like this, this happens 60% of the time or 40% of the time or whatever, you're not actually looking at cause and effect about the specific person or situation. You're just making a generalization. So there's, the injury predictor cannot... It cannot really speak to the particular instance. It does not have a belief about Fournette. It just simply knows that it's simply observed that when people have been injured a lot, they're likely to get injured again. And it's not even, I don't think it's even opining as to what type of injury it would be. You know, let's say, well, let, me give you, let me give you a counter example. Let's say player X has a history of ankle injury. Steph Curry or somebody in basketball, just someone that comes to mind. Okay. And, and let's say the predictor says, oh, Steph Curry, he's... The most likely player to get hurt, he's got a 60% injury chance this year at some mm-hmm. point to miss X amount of games. And then if you were to you know, get more granular into the data, you'd say, well, he's got a 55% chance that it's the ankle and a 5% chance it's something else. Let's say that were the case. And then he hurts something else that's unrelated to the ankle. And you say, you see, the predictor said it was 60%. Yeah. Like, no, the predictor said it was 60% because they thought he was going to get the same injury he's always had. And... If he got a different injury, he's no more likely to get that injury than any other healthy player. So the predictor didn't get it right or it got it right for the wrong reason because it's not, you know, again, maybe it's not that specific. Okay. Maybe it has, but what I'm trying to say is if you look at these things and you know the way the algorithms are made, they're made based on generalizations. They're not made because it's Stefania Bell, physical therapist plus doctor looking at the MRI and saying, okay, let's look at the state of his body right now. So that's that's why I'm a little bit like, oh come on, man, don't don't. See, i, don't I do all of,
1: this is where I admit that I haven't really checked them out that
2: much, and I don't know what they're doing it and how they're. It doesn't matter, performing. Jeff. There's no way they're not doing that. Okay. They're not. It's it's, a, it's an algorithm. It's just an algorithm that says historically, if player X has suffered this many injuries, then player X is likely to get hurt this year. And it's the same kind of generalization that you're like, okay, well, you know, one in six human babies born every year is Chinese, mm-hmm. and you're like, so. So what are the chances the next baby born is Chinese? Oh well. One in one six. Second. Yeah. Okay. Well oh you're getting you're getting ten to one odds. Great. I'll I'll bet that it is. But then you're like, oh wait, this this baby's being born in Mexico? You know, and then you're like, oh, that would be a really bad bet. These generalizations work, you know, and so so if you're like, oh well it's the same thing. It's like he got a different injury. So I, I don't know. I could be wrong, it could be that any injury means any other injury, but that's not that, to me that doesn't have that doesn't make causal sense unless somebody could explain that his his prior ankle injuries made his hamstrings more susceptible if somebody gave me a mechanism for that then i would um then i would believe in it
1: okay fair enough fair enough uh by the way just musing on this for a second here going back to i, I was just thinking about jay ajayi uh what about philly as a destination for Lev bell in a potential trade that happened we saw connor have a big game against the falcons again against the falcons admittedly a very easy it's a you're starting off with a 2-0 and count there uh but still had a big game you know maybe they they're convinced that okay he'll be fine this relationship's wrecked we're going to lose him anyhow what if we can get a good uh, good high pick from philly
2: yeah in a way though it was bad for the Steelers to win because if the Steelers are still like, we can win this division. We can go into Cincy and win next week. Right. Uh, we can win this division. The Ravens lost and you know they're going to get another shot at the Ravens. So I think, I don't know. I guess if they get like a first rounder, but I don't, Philly's too smart. They're not going to trade a first rounder for a rental running back. So the Philly might give them like a third or fourth rounder. And if that's the case, I don't, know if the Steelers do it given that they're fancy themselves contenders and Ben's window and Brown's window as being who he is is you know both of them are closing a little bit so I would I would be cool and it would be a good destination but I'd I'd be surprised
1: yeah and I wonder how that affects their cap and all that too I mean there's there's it's not just positional need. It there's a lot of other things that uh, play into that whole process too so we'll see um, I think uh, that that that's gonna be interesting. But you're, you're right about the Steelers facing Cincy this week. That's a big, big game. You know, they got that win. They're up to two, two and one now. Uh, so are the Browns. Uh, Ravens losing helps them too. Bengals pulling that out of their butt against Miami help hurts them some. Obviously, Bengals didn't deserve to win that game. I mean, Miami's trash. Don't get me wrong, but they were the you know, they were owning the Bengals for a while. Seventeen nothing deep in the, you know midway into the third quarter. Bengals didn't score their first touchdown to the first play of the fourth quarter. Uh, So 17 three at the end of three, Uh, you know, by all, you know, all measures, Miami was the team that was playing a lot better. And, you know, the Bengals woke up. I mean, the, the dolphins just, their, their offense is pathetic. That was the other big thing that the Bengals pass rush turned it up a notch. Bengals offense is kind of sputtering. You know, they're a different team without Eifer. They didn't have John Ross to stretch the field at all. You know, I, I wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Pittsburgh waltzed into Paul Brown stadium and won.
2: Yeah, they might, but at the same time, Pittsburgh plays usually a lot worse on the road. The Bengals, Except for be in for Cincy. This game.
1: they always play well in Cincy and uh, never they? loses okay. in Cincy.
2: Okay. All right. I was, I was looking at the line. You know what the line is? You want me to tell you or not? I'm going to say uh, it's even the line is two and a half. Bengals favored by two and a half. I thought I made the line three. I thought Pittsburgh on the road, not very good. Um, I, I thought the line would be one and a half. I thought Pittsburgh would be even more, you know, considered better than them. Yeah. I'm a and, little surprised by Cab. that line. I also think that um, the Bengals, you know, the, the way historically you think, well, the Steelers are always contend. The Bengals always fall back to the pack. So if the Bengals are four and one, and the Steelers are two, two and one, you see a Steeler win, right? I mean, that's just, it's not a sound way to handicap, but just the way you visualize the season playing out, you see the Steelers at three, two, and one, and the Bengals at four and two, much more likely than five and one and two, three and one. Yeah. Right? It's just how you, yeah. just because it's the Steelers and it's the Bengals. So I think that this line is not really reflecting the quality. Now, of course, the Bengals did look terrible last week, and the Steelers looked really good. But on balance, on the season, I, I mean, yeah, the Bengals have been the better-looking team for the uh, the balance at least of the season, e- least yeah. at least equal, at least equal. You know, yeah, and and they're at home, and the Steelers are bad on the road. Maybe they've been good in Cincinnati, but it's also because the Bengals. Well, I guess recently the Bengals haven't been a crap, haven't been a doormat. They've been pretty good. So um, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn on it, but I did make the. Uh, by, based on my lines, I'd be taking the Bengals because I thought the line should be the full three, and the actual line's only two and a half as of Monday night, which could obviously move. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So.
1: Um. Yeah.
2: I, I wonder. Yeah. That's just the opening line. Well, no.
1: By the time I make my pick on Wednesday morning, I bet you it'll have moved one. You know, a decent something. something. Although moving off two and a half is a tough number to move off of. If it moves well, to no, two, move it's down. not that.
2: Yeah, it'll move to one and a half. I I, I guess the line be one and a half. Yeah. I think the money's going to come in on the Steelers personally.
1: Yeah, it always does. That's they're as they they're as public a team as you get. Uh,
2: and because as, for what I said, that people just cannot they just don't visualize the Bengals five and one with a massive lead in the division.
1: Agreed. Agreed on that. Okay. I want to talk about a couple other things here. Um, your giants. Uh, th- there's news coming out from them too. Eric flowers. His name's been bounced around a lot.
2: They're going to flat out cut him if they can't trade him by tomorrow. That's what I have read. Is that, do you see that? Uh, I didn't see it yet, but um, I do see a nice note that someone followed up on my Barkley note yesterday that injury, not a concern. That's very good. Eric Flowers has been terrible since they drafted him. They spent a really high pick on him and he was supposed to be a solution at left tackle. They finally had to move him to right tackle. Then they couldn't even, couldn't even deal with right tackle. They've only benched him after a couple weeks. The line is still not great, but he's just been a liability. He was the pick right and, before Todd Gurley. Well, there you go. Luckily they passed on Todd Gurley. Otherwise they'd never have Saquon Barkley. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Whew, he stuck goodness. with Sam Darnold. Thank Maybe goodness. You could Sam have had Darnold. Sam
1: Darnold and you could have had
2: Gurley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. what a, what a, just a well, at least they have like undecided because uh, Eli's obviously not the next quarterback that does anything for them. Right. Undecided in Barkley is better than Gurley and Darnold. I mean, Darnold, they're going to be stuck with for three years before they finally dump him. <laughs> it's going to be so hard to uh, you, you can't take a guy at three overall and then not, you know, and then not like see it through for three years. That's the problem. Those those early quarterbacks bust, right? You destroys your franchise for years. Yeah. But you know what?
1: We were kind of declaring that with Goff. And you know, not, not as much Wentz, but it's a little bit even in his rookie year, too. And then definitely the case at Goff, and
2: then they all blew up in year two. So you know, maybe well, so, still could so be So Wentz had a good rookie year. I mean, he, he tailed off toward the end. He looked really good for a bit, and then he kind yeah. of struggled the second half. But Goff didn't even play until like, like week nine, week ten. Was that right? And then so we're
1: like, for, oh, why, why, he must be horrible if, if Jeff Fisher is not playing him. Oh, or, or it's just Jeff Fisher being an idiot, as it turns out.
2: Right, that you could count them, but but the here's what happened. So so Wentz played better in the second half, but he was a good prospect. But it's funny because I don't know if I talked about this with you, but two years ago, heading into last season, like a year, you know, 14 months ago, say, if you were like, okay, which one two has have better future prospects, Winston Mariota or Wentz Golf? It would have been unequivocally, unequivocally Winston Mariota. Yeah. Before 2017, Mariota was considered a rising star, and Winston was a little inconsistent, but the talent was obvious. Wentz was very inconsistent his rookie year. That team seemed kind of crappy. And then, um, golf, you're right. He didn't play till like week nine or 10 there. Keenum was starting over and the Rams were terrible. I was like, how bad must golf look in practice? If he can't beat out this version of case Keenum, which was a disaster. Keenum was awful. Yep. Then golf got to play finally. And I was like, Oh, this is why they didn't play golf. This guy is horrible. He had 5.5 YPA, which is, you know, basically below the threshold of, Credibility, even for a rookie. And I was like, what? I can't believe this guy's the first overall pick. It's ridiculous. And he just looked fire lost. Fitch.
1: He just, yeah, he looked, uh, you
2: know, completely overmatched. They fire Fisher. They bring in Robert Woods. They bring in Sammy Watkins to Novaville. They draft Cooper Cup. Totally different team. They, they, re, they, uh, who's the lineman they signed from the Bengals who's really Whitworth. good? Andrew Whitworth. Whitworth. Yep. And Sean McVeigh comes in and suddenly Goff is like really good. And everyone's kind of like, wow, he's really thriving in the system. And now by this year, it's like, no, this guy's actually really good. And he's in a good system. That's what it looks like. Goff got 10.0 YPA against the Seahawks in Seattle, despite losing his two top receivers. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, he threw two picks. One was a Hail Mary at the end of the half, which is meaningless. And one of them was a tipped ball at the goal line. So he had two no-fault picks, 10 YPA, missing his top two guys on the road in the horrible environment. I mean, I think golf is actually really good, and he makes all the throws, zips everything in, makes good decisions. Obviously, it really helps to be in a great system, but I, I think he's actually really good. And you're right. I mean, Darnold, I, I pick on Darnold just because he's the Jets, and Giants took Barkley before him, and I got into it with all the sabermetric guys who were like, how can you take a running back before Darnold? But I, I, I am biased, but I have not been impressed by Darnold.
1: Yeah, and, it's, or, and it doesn't have to be Darnold. I mean, they had the number two overall pick. The only one they could have well, had a shot is Josh it Mayfield. Well,
2: Josh Rosen
1: uh, looks good. I, I actually, He actually looks like a player. I think so, too. I think he looks pretty good. What do, what do you think about Josh Allen?
2: Um, uh, not much. I mean, he looks like an athlete. Right. <laughs> he looks like a good athlete. I don't know. I, it's really impossible, though, because the system is so bad. There's no receivers. I, I'm not really sure. I don't think it's fair to evaluate him. It looks like Josh Ro- Josh Rosen looks like a quarterback. Like He looks like he a real NFL quarterback already. We'll see if that develops.
1: Yeah. And then obviously no data on Lamar Jackson yet as a quarterback, maybe as a runner. Uh, interesting how the air came out of the Joe Flacco bubble this week.
2: Yep. Well, Dalton, Flacco, Bortles. I mean, these were the guys that were like, whoa, these guys are all playing great. Tannehill for the first three games. Now these guys are all crashing back down to earth. Hey, look! I got slow their-
1: your roll on Dalton there for a second. There, eight point three ypa yesterday against the Dolphins. This is, they just couldn't run the ball for like a half of the game. And then, oh, is that? Yeah, okay, maybe maybe. I not. mean, and they, remember maybe he too took away two to of fight. his four receiving options too. So well, they lost Bernard too. Yeah, and big. Bernard. Yeah, so three of his five. If you think about it, there. Mixon step. Mixon came back. That was big. He he, he got a lot of his yards late though. So that yeah, twenty two for ninety three. A lot of that was piled on late. I mean, in the second, not necessarily late, but second half. He did nothing. He was like 10 for 20, and then he ended up 22 for 93. So, and then he had that one big touchdown reception where he adjusted to the ball very well. That was a
2: really nice play. Yeah, I uh, mean, Dalton is, Dalton is who he is by now, which is yeah. a, a decent, you know, a competent NFL quarterback, an average NFL quarterback, and you know, good enough to win with if you have good pieces around him. I just think that um, the fantasy stock crashed. And yeah. I, I think they're part of the reason for that is that Perfect's um, back. Mixon is taking the play. Mixon can catch the ball, but Bernard is catch first. You know, so yeah. you've now got to run first, guys. So they're going to probably run. You know, they gave Mixon a lot of carries. Probably going to run it much more. Try to play defense and run the ball. You know, Eifert and Ross is smaller, smaller losses, but it's still something. So I don't know. It's just one game, but I could see the Bengals playing more of a Smash Mouth style, especially as the weather starts turning too.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, So then going to Flacco, I mean, boy, five point three yards per attempt, no touchdowns against the Browns, one interception. Same Browns team they gave up forty five points the week before. Uh, Flacco was twenty nine for fifty six, and the the, the Ravens do this all the time. They just they well they ran a lot of plays actually. They had twenty five carries in this game too. And fifty-seven passing attempts. Well, of course, you had a full overtime, so I guess that makes sense. You normalize it over four quarters; it's not they, it was, it's not as good. But Alex Collins was running the ball well early. Um, they they had to factor in. I thought he got hurt. I thought he got hurt. Collins for He a was bit. a little banged up. Yeah, um, I think he was. He came back in, if I recall correctly. Came yeah. back in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the uh, rewatch of that game next. I'm doing that so you don't have to. Um, but you it, know, it, it was a pretty ugly game. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, all the love that uh, Flacco and the Ravens were getting. Okay never mind back to the same old Ravens where you you know one one a good week here horrendous week the next
2: it's funny you know if you look at the YPA 6.9 6.8 6.9 he gets the 8.6 at Pittsburgh and we're like holy crap this new Flacco yeah and and now he's 5.3 so that 8.6 and 5.3 basically average back down to seven and he's right at that 6.8 6.9 which is really his career mark before last year's absolute debacle so He's not good Flacco. He's just the same average Flacco as before. Uh, I think Denzel Ward shadowed John Brown, and they didn't get any of those big plays from Brown. Right. Denzel Ward, I think, is like the real deal already. Like, he's uh, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, I think, graded out by, I don't know if it's pro football focus or whoever, um, but basically he's been doing work. And so you take away John Brown and you're throwing to Michael Crabtree and you're throwing to Willie Snead, you're not going to get a lot of yards per attempt.
1: Flacco, I mean, John Brown had 14 targets in this game, though. Went four for for fifty four for fifty eight, four catches fifty eight yards fourteen targets so not much per target that's for sure that's getting totally shut down yeah it's funny I was watching the Bengals game and Steve Tasker was the analyst and he's like well most people think William Jackson is the uh, lesser of the two corners well he'll get compared to Drake Kirkpatrick so he's going to get a lot of work it's like how many Bengals games have you watched this year that's the complete opposite is true
2: Drake Kirkpatrick is you know the ball finds him. It's, right. it's not even close. That's just a reputation thing. I mean, it's like an old reputation thing, not even, it's, not even, it's, just it's, not, it's just outdated.
3: You can
1: tell he hasn't been reading pro Football Focus at all. No. So I thought that was fun, kind of funny. Hey, before we go into more announcer and coaching gripes, uh, let's just uh, a word from our a word about our sponsor. It's Fantasy fantasydraft, uh, fantasydraft.com. They put players first. Uh, among the things they're offering this week, they have a $100,000 run and gun weekly feature, GPP. It's a $25 buy in on that. They have their $500,000 fantasy draft championship. That means total in prizes, not the grand prize. Uh, weekly qualifiers are happening now. Uh, it's a week 16 finale. Uh, super flexible lineup construction. They have multiple flexes. Easier to sweat the players you love to watch. Uh, they have lesser rake. In some cases, no rake on their head-to-heads. I do like that feature. I think head-to-heads are a good way to build up your bankroll uh, if you've got the patience for doing it. You, and you should play a lot of them. But uh, that—that's one thing that's bankroll management there. But you know, if you want to do that, that's that's one way to go about doing that there. Uh, It's easier to win. Fantasy Draft plays out at least 25% of the field in every single contest. Pays out, sorry. Uh, And then finally, a call to action. There's a free $4 GPP ticket with the initial deposit. Just sign up with referrer code ROTOWIRE. That's all on FantasyDraft.com. We thank them for sponsoring Talking Yang and all the other ROTOWIRE fantasy football podcasts. Uh, Okay, Chris, uh, some coaching gripes. Uh, The obvious one, Mike McCarthy, just again, and he had a press conference today, He's like he's He's doubling, tripling down. He's like the NFL when it comes to uh, roughing the passer. He's just you know bang that head against the wall a little bit more. Nope, we like our three backs. They do different things. It's not just running the ball. You know, the, you know running backs just do a lot of different things, and we like that. So, I, I just he just won't admit that you know
2: Aaron Jones is better than Jamal Williams at this point. Yeah, and I saw some stats somewhere on Twitter that Aaron Jones gets like a great grade for pass blocking. Also, yeah. So so that's just BS about Jamal Williams being such a, you know, maybe he's a decent pass blocker, but he certainly hasn't been graded better than Jones. Yeah, it just sounds like a guy, we talked about this on the radio, a a guy who, you know, maybe he's hearing the whispers, maybe he's feeling it, but he has to justify why he's still there. I mean, the Packers need to be an elite team when you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time in his late prime, and if you're not, then what are you bringing to the table anymore? what it, McCarthy's offense may have been, I don't even know if it ever was particularly innovative 10 years ago, but what does he bring to the table? So instead of just doing the obvious as Tom Kessenick was saying, and just giving the ball to your best running back, he's got to sort of maintain his authority and be like, Oh, well here's what you don't realize. I'm doing this 11 dimensional chess, you know, like yeah. you can't people like you just can't understand what I'm actually doing. And it's, it's more complex than you can realize when actually no. what's simple is do the right thing. And also, You're not doing a good job as a coach. So, I don't know, man. It it just seems like a little bit of desperation, you know, like grabbing territory and trying to seem important because he really isn't important. In fact, he's a detriment. And of all those years with Rogers, man, just to get one Super Bowl and have upsets. The Giants knocked him out twice. Well, one was with Favre. I don't know. Was McCarthy the the coach back then when they knocked Favre out? I think he was in two thousand seven. I don't. Maybe maybe it was still Holmgren. I think it was. Now Holmgren was already long gone. I think it was McCarthy. And, uh, and they knocked him out in the first round uh, against, you know, the Giants 2011 knocked him out, too. So they lost some games that they were big favorites in that total choke against Seattle. They should have got to the Super Bowl a few years later. Um, it's, uh, it's not looking good. So yeah, I hope it's not on the New England deal. dynasty sort of level. That's for sure. Uh, and forget about New England, not even Seattle, you know, not even just Seattle made it to back to back Super Bowls. Should have won. Had they just handed it to Lynch. I don't even think they're at that level. Yeah, uh, they're, they're not, uh, you know,
1: they're, they're definitely not. And, you know, Hey, that, that's really, uh, it's really frustrating when you've got that guy, I guess I'm not a Packers fan, but I'm still, you want to see greatness rewarded a little bit, especially if you're, imagine not your if,
2: if Rogers went to the giants and Eli went to the Packers, that that's the franchise they deserve because Rogers on the giants with Shermer would just be, it would be just, they could go play against the Rams and light things. I would be like the chiefs. It would be amazing. And Eli just belongs in the McCarthy slash McAdoo offense with bad receivers and no creativity to right. switch places.
1: I'd love to see it. Love to see it, but it's not going to happen. Um, and another, so we, we got to talk, go back to, I'm going to rub that salt in the wind a little bit more. Talk about this giants, Carolina, and we talked about it on the radio show, but you know, uh, riverboat Ron really fell upward this, this week. I mean, it was really bad. Uh, you know, the, that end game sequence there was just hideous. You know, just running it to McCaffrey on third and one without any timeouts right up the middle. And unless you unless you think you had like some sort of read where, you, oh, well, I thought that their formation was that he could break one for 30. No, he didn't have that. He just wanted to get the first down.
2: Even if he did break one for 30, you better get out of bounds. Right. You know, like, it's like there's no – barring a touchdown run on that play, I guess I guess if he ran for – no, there's really – because if he you, if you ran up the field, it would be really hard to get the ball spiked. It, w- it was just a terrible, terrible call. Yeah. Terrible. You had to throw – you had to run a play on third and one that was a sideline play and do it quickly. That was your only option. Yeah. Uh, as, I,
1: as I said on Twitter, Riverboat Ron just crashed his boat on a sand dune that happened to cover the lost city of Atlantis and now will be credited as an explorer. Graham Gino just saved his ass basically. I mean, if, if they had lost a game, like the odds really were saying, you know, that it would be, you know, he'd be castigated for the, uh, that game management. And there was game man. There was just poor game management all over the place yesterday. So, you know, the Dallas Houston game was just a, a, a master clinic on how not to run a game between O'Brien and Garrett.
2: I mean, it was horrible. okay. So, so this, so we got confirmation. Uh, one of our, uh, Twitter followers, uh, Mark Brunn. Yeah. Uh, Mark Bunn. Um, tweeted us and he said that, uh, actually there was only two, pos- there's only two possessions in I that over time. Yeah. And basically I, cause I remember thinking Dallas had it down to like three and a half minutes left and it's fourth and one at the, whatever at the 42, if they get that first down, not only do they play for the win, but they basically eliminate any chance of losing because they, I mean, they still could have, I guess missed a long field goal, but if they get one more first down after getting first and 10, There's no clock left. I mean, this is sort of a flaw in the 10 minute overtime is that one team, especially a slow team like Dallas that runs it a lot, could just chew up the whole clock and win it with a field goal. And you're not supposed to win with a field goal. You're supposed to, the other team gets possession after the field goal. But there's no time, then there's no possession. And they were like on the way to doing that. And then for God knows what reason, on the 42, Garrett's like, oh, it's too, it's a long one. We got to punt. And they lose the game. It was just amazing that he did that. I mean, incredible. Because when you punt it back with three minutes left, if the team gets even one
1: first down. There was 540 left when he punted it away. Uh, I'm looking at the game log right now. And on third and one, they failed. They they ran Elliott up the middle in a shotgun formation, not a regular formation, for no gain. So maybe that's fresh in his mind. He's like, oh, we couldn't get the one yard, so we definitely can't get it here, you know, or something like that. Because all he's thinking about is one yard. He's not thinking You're sure about there was any, five
2: minutes left. I thought it was getting, getting it right in front of me. Five forty left. Okay. All right. Okay. Then it is, then I'll have to believe you. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, I was just cause I kept thinking, Oh, they can run this all the way down. But, um, so I guess they conceivably could have gotten the ball back even if Houston got a first down or two and had enough time for a field goal, but still come on fourth and one at the 42. And it, it when, and the thing that's crazy about that is, you know, you give this ball up a field goal wins the game. Like you're, you can't even, you, you, you're basically saying like all they need is a field goal and the game's over. It's not like the middle of the second quarter where you're like, oh, we'll punt. And even if they get a field goal, it's no big deal. You know I mean? This is, you're basically eliminating your chance of winning the game almost. That's right. So,
1: uh, yeah, just really hideous management. And Garrett came out and defended his own decision again. He doubled down. He's like, well, it was a long yard. You know, Jerry Jones, has my back to, and as a Giants fan, that's like sweet, sweet music to your ears, I imagine.
2: I think Jerry Jones criticized him, though, after the game. I read that, or I heard that somewhere. Oh, yeah? Okay, I didn't catch that part.
1: Well, then that's that's less sweet music for you, then, because you want you want Garrett to be the Dallas coach for life.
2: I don't really, though. Even though it's good for the Giants, I really don't. It just makes the game worse. It just makes the experience, you know, if we're covering the NFL as our job and as fans of it, ostensibly, it just... It it makes it unpleasant to watch, man. Jason Garrett is just like a scourge. And it's one of these things, I might write about this in East Coast offense. I'm not sure, but thinking about you know how like if, if Jerry Jones did criticize him, I gotta Google that and read exactly what Jones said. But it's like you're doing the nutless monkey job that you've always done, that you've been hired to do, and then suddenly the thing that you were told was okay is not okay anymore. Like you're being criticized by your boss for the thing. And it's one of these things where yeah it's like you go along with the way things are without looking at the math, without looking at whether it's correct or not. And then you, and if, and at some point, if you're doing the wrong thing, even though the wrong thing is the custom, things move, move on out from under you. And they're like, what are you doing? You're doing the wrong thing, man. And you're like blindsided by it. So it's just a weird situation where he just thought he could just keep nutless monkeying it every year. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm doing it safely. So these announcers are like, oh, I don't understand Doug Peterson going for two. You know, like they're just doing the thing that they've always been told was right to do. And suddenly, suddenly it's being pulled out from under them. It's slow in the NFL, but it's starting to happen.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing is, you know what happened is Philly won. And they they did it in precisely that aggressive manner. You know, calling the Philly special play, you know, going for a fourth down in the Super Bowl. You know, things like that. Having this, you know. High-profile analytics department, you know Jerry is Jones is a division
2: made of his. He's like, oh, I want one of those. I like, I want that. That's not, that looks but awesome. Is that the lesson though that the that people with the confirmation bias of you know the other way of doing it are going to take from the Philly win? Oh, they took some chances. I mean, it really could have blown up in their face, but they're really lucky Although, to have. They're a probably not like the Cole. right way.
1: They probably will just say, oh, they took chances. It'll be the Mike Tomlin random chance generator thing,
2: right? Right? That's, that's, yeah, Jeff Fisher used to fake a punt on fourth and 30.
1: Yeah, he exactly. Him, and, it yeah, and, and, plus and it worked one time. And it worked. It's beautiful. We can get to the eight, nine and seven this year instead of eight and eight. Sweet.
2: No, but he, he, they would fake a punt in the craziest situations. I, I mean, they, they, it wasn't that Jeff Fisher or Mike Tallman is scared. They're not scared, they just don't understand the, the math. And, you know, the, the, the two point conversion is really kind of the most elegant one, though doing that, you know, go when it's yeah. 20 to 12 to go to 2014, I just read the proof. I was like, yeah, I knew I, I had, I actually worked it out today. Cause I was like, Oh, that is right. But let me see why. And I was like, yeah, because if you fail, the only way you lose on that, where you basically don't get, you know, you're, you're down 14, you get two touchdowns and you don't catch up is if you fail both conversions and you have a fi- you have a 45% chance historically of succeeding. So if you fail both, there's only like a 30% chance you fail both. And then if you make the first one, which is 45, you, all you need is an extra point if you score again to win, to win the game. Right. So you basically have a 45% chance of winning if you score again, a 30% chance of losing even though you scored again because you missed the two-point conversion. You obviously know to go for two the second time if you missed the first time. And then there's like a, a 25% chance of, well, you missed the first, but you make the second and you're in the same place you would have been. So really like the 25 doesn't matter because that's just like kicking the extra points. You go to overtime anyway. And you have a 45% chance of being one ahead and a, and a 30% chance of being behind, two behind. So it's like, well, what do you want? A 45% chance to win and a 30% chance to lose? Or would you rather just go 50-50 in overtime? Of course you want to have the edge. Of course you want to make it so that you're more likely to win than go to overtime. That, that, you're, you know, that your chances of winning are better than your chances of losing when in overtime I and mean, they're
1: 50-50. Right. Uh, and what you usually hear, on broadcast instead is you don't hear percentages. You don't hear anything like that. Like never chase points early. What if it doesn't work? You know, that's all you hear, you know, right. Right. I mean, and, and it as, as I was discussing with PNL, uh, he brought this up. It might've actually been a slightly negative EV play for Reich, but I've so aggressively wanted to defend it because it was so aggressively criticized. You know, it's just like my natural reaction was to be contrarian to all those people who said, never go for it. You know, it's all the maxims. Never go for it in your own territory. Never chase points. You know, all that sort of stuff. You know, and I, I naturally i am going to go against that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to natural, my natural inclination is, okay, well, if he took this chance, I'm going to go favor him. You know, like Mike Vrabel took a chance and it paid off. You know, the brave was, you know, fortune favored the brave in that one there. But it's all, but then again. It was always like this ex post facto analysis did it work? Then we'll decide whether I like the decision
2: or not. Not what are the percentages of this happening? That's never the approach. I will just throw in one confounding factor that I, I feel the analytics community misses is just like the injury predictor thing. Right. It's generalizing what in, you know, what will happen over time if you do these things and the specific situation is not a generalized situation. It, it may be just like a deck of cards where, okay, well, look, you got, you got, um, two chances to make your flush. And so you got about whatever, 33% or 36% or whatever that I don't remember poker anymore, but whatever it is, you know, to, so here's the pot odds. Let's, let's do the math. And you know that it's exactly right because they're cards. They're always the same odds of getting right. You want to go as long as you haven't like mis misread something. And, uh, which is what I do. I there's actually someone actually has a full house. There's a pair on the board, and I'm calculating my flush odds. But um, but so you don't know that in this specific instance. Like sometimes Belichick, and I want to say oh Belichick can never make a mistake, but sometimes Belichick will do the nutless thing and like kick a field goal on fourth and one from the one yard line with you know the first quarter. You're like dude, what are you doing? Back him up. If, if you miss, they're at the one yard line. And it might be that he just is wrong. It's not you know Belichick isn't magic. He doesn't know everything. Right. He's not you know God. But it also might be that there's something specific about this game that isn't just the generalized. Of course, you should do this generally in a sort of vacuum, no, you know, knowing nothing else. But he does know other things,
1: right? And there are more. other factors. Just yeah, that yeah, we don't know all the variables.
2: That's right. that's exactly right. It's How like, is the defense playing? How is the running back feeling? How is the offensive line blocking? How is this? Right. Generally, you know, like the Garrett thing, there's such a pattern of nutlessness that you're just like, he didn't, it wasn't some specific, he had some crazy insight into this particular thing. He just punted because he was on autopilot and he does the cowardly thing every time. Right. I think with guys like that, it's safe. But I think we, the analytics people tread in a little bit of dangerous territory when they treat it like a deck of cards in every situation when, um, you know, it's, it's not. Every situation is truly unique in a football game played by humans. That's right.
1: That's right. Um, there were some other things like that. O'Brien a couple times ordered up kicks from inside the five, I think once at the one. But then again, Watson got stop- stuffed on another goal line, one, uh, fourth down. Thing. So that was a factor in his thinking. I can see that on the O'Brien side. Right. That's
2: like, an example of that. Is like, let's yeah. say like their red zone offense sucks because they just can't run the ball, and they couldn't. Alfred Blue had like 20 for 46. And they're like, it's, it's hard to score in the red zone when your guys don't have a lot of room to get open and you can't run it. So, you know, again, like generally speaking, you should always go for it down there. But there may have been some specific reason. But, again, I'm not going to defend Bill O'Brien either because he is also one of the most nutless coaches in the NFL today.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely is. And that's such an Alfred Blue sort of line, too, by the way. You know, I saw some Twitter, like, self-congratulating, like, on Friday, like, Or or, uh, maybe even uh, Friday or Saturday, like, see, I told you you should pick up Alfred Blue. Now I have to decide who to start and all that. But ha ha, look at this acid I've got.
3: Well, he
2: actually had a good game because he had had a lot of receiving yards. He had like 78 receiving yards. Yeah, just
1: on the running side of things, it was nothing. That's all I was going for there. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, the Texans are, you know, they're a hard team to read too because Fuller's like banged up every single week with that hamstring. And now uh, Kiki QT um, is, is a thing. You know he got six. He had six catches for fifty-one seven yards. Fuller only had three targets, but he's obviously less than one hundred percent. Hopkins got his because Hopkins always gets him. Yeah, you're right. Blue had seventy-three receiving yards, so eight catches. So PPR, that was pretty good. I was just looking at the rushing, and I, mean, I guess I, I overlooked the receiving because it's easy enough to do, but um, my mistake on that one basically. But he's just a
2: ugh, it's just an ugly team to watch. But I got I got to talk about the worst worse than any of the coaching, worse than any of the stuff is Derek Carr on first and goal from the one. Yeah. Throwing an egregious pick. It's just so unforgivable. And he did, he's done that a second time this year. He's thrown a, a goal to go pick on first down. It's just, dude, what planet are you on? What are you doing? What are you doing? What is your problem? It's amazing. How do you do that? That's just like one oh one. It's the, it's the beginner course. Hey, man, it's first and goal from the one. First of all, I hand it off to Marshawn Lynch. Second of all, throw it away. It just, it's just so inexcusable. I, I don't I – don't, man, I wonder if in like a year or two, Derek Carr is going to be like you know, doing the backup circuit. I mean this is – that's just awful.
1: It is. Remi- uh, reminds me, who's the – quarterback? there was a quarterback once that I, like fourth down instead of like – taking an intercept you know for chancing an interception or you know you know he was like didn't want to get hit he just threw it out of the back of the end zone I,
2: there was there was a quarterback i think it was stafford i, they, I think I that's right think it was stafford and Orlovsky once ran out the back of the end zone and accidentally took a safety but yeah, yeah that was when the line was just, were like oh it's 16
1: that was just but that wasn't purposeful at least that wasn't <laughs> yeah, one was of an those accident. yeah that wasn't a, like oh uh you know i'm just instead of getting hit i'm just gonna walk out of the back of the end zone no but or Stafford just threw it away, purposely threw it away.
2: That was I remember right. it's like, oh, better not let's let's we'll go we'll just regroup on fifth down with the game on the line. No time left. Let's throw it out of the end zone. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, no, I mean you gotta know, I mean, it, it's a bizarre fact that interceptions all count as interceptions. Like when you do a Hail Mary at the end of the half, like Goff did, that's nothing. That's just not getting a touch. Even a, a pass to the one yard line on that play is the exact same thing as that interception. Whereas what Car did is, like, cost you, you know, six and a half points. I mean, 6.7 points, that play. And they just go in the books of interception. They, right. they should not be the same play. You should get eight interceptions for that car error. I mean, you literally should get eight interceptions for that. Well, there you go. I, interception points lost, you know, like interception points. So Goff would get no points on that. So he would just get yeah. nothing. He wouldn't even register. Goff had one interception and no Bortles. Yeah. Yeah. Had no bortles, and and the one was tipped, and I'd have to look at the replay to see if it was like way behind Gurley, whoever he's intending to throw it to. Yeah. You know, if you hit a, a receiver in the hands and he drops it and he gets picked, like that's that should not count as anything. And right. you know they they should. I mean, obviously some pro football focused type crew could easily you know just make a stat like that. It's not that hard, but. You know, it would be a little subjective, but not really. It's pretty easy to figure it out.
1: Yeah, it, it probably would be. Uh, so you now it's just another thing. And Bortles, we, you know, oh, what a so many points left on the field there on that one. There, I mean, it just it was so sick to see how Jacksonville would drive it and Bortles would make a mistake, or Jackson, or, or the play calling was bad one time too. Third and two from the Chiefs five, and you know they didn't even have you know uh, they didn't even have Yeldon in the backfield. They had nobody in the backfield.
2: I get it. Oh, they crazy. threw a fade. Well, who threw the fade? That was what I commented on. Was that that play with Jacksonville? It was like third and two from the five, or, or something like that. And, and they threw a fade on one play, and the next play they threw another pass and right. turned I think it over. It and was and you're like, I think that was. A, it was like, a fade. Dude, about, yeah. like the fuck are you throwing a fade on third and two? I, on third and nine, fine. Throw the fade. Third and goal from the nine. Go ahead. It's fine. If you need two yards for the first down, you got two plays. Jam it in there, man. You know, it's just like. And it wasn't third and goal. It was third and two. They still could have gotten a first down. That was the thing. Absolutely. The thing about running plays is running plays aren't as good as passing plays typically on average because the upside is less. The average running plays, four yards. The average pass plays, seven yards. A little bit more even this year. So obviously passing is better than running all things being equal. But when you only need two yards on two plays, that running play is really good. You know, it's really easy to get two yards on two running plays.
1: It is. It, it should be, and especially it was for the the Jaguars yesterday too. Chiefs past rush came up big. Um, I mean, Bortles' pick six was a joke. He got picked off. He got picked off on a screen pass, uh, run back all the way, and then the the helmet interception almost as almost as bad as the butt fumble. It was that bad. Yeah. Well, uh-huh, it's Tannehill was almost as bad too with his. Uh, off his teammates helmet bounce back to the pass rusher, uh, pick six too. So really, really bad day for quarterbacks. We saw a lot of bad, uh, bad play out there. Um, before we sign off, anything else that caught your eye this week, any other observations you wanted to share?
2: Uh, yeah, I said this uh, in my column and on Twitter, I think Barkley, Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the NFL right now. And I am glad he's not hurt because, um, that was a little, a moment of, uh, nervousness i love having beckham and barkley even more than i hate having eli on the team and i actually look forward to watching the giants just because of those two guys and they're going to maybe have evan ingram back we just have a note uh so the whole crew is going to be together uh, against the eagles they're home and the eagles pass defense is crap the the whole only question is whether eli and the offensive line can survive long enough to get the ball out but could be some big numbers from the giants this thursday how about on the defensive side
1: are you happy with that
2: I think they look okay. Yeah. I mean, Carolina hung 30 on him. So it wasn't that good. And the week before new Orleans had a, a big game, but it was, it was, just because the giants offense couldn't move it. They contained them pretty well for most of the game. I think it's okay. I miss uh, I think they missed Jason Pierre, Paul, my, my other favorite player that that left. But, um, you know, generous Jenkins has done a decent job. Eli Apple has been banged up. And even though he's been kind of a bust as a first round pick, he played well early in the year and they kind of missed him a little. And, I don't know. I think the defense is okay. I still think the giants are kind of an eight and eight team. They're not going to get to eight and eight. Cause they're one and four. If they won that game. They would have been two and three and eight and eight would have been totally possible. But um, I still think they're like, they're getting better. It's just Eli. I mean, he just doesn't throw a clean pass. So um, I don't know how they're going to deal with that, but I think Shermer's really good. I think the team's in the right direction.
1: All right. Very good. I think the Bengals are, Impressive in how they rally. Less impressive in how they get they fall behind. Uh Their defense is still a little shaky. Uh, they they have come up big though. They've been clutch this year. So you know it's it's a weird to see that from the Bengals. Usually they bangle it and it's a verb and they're usually horrible down the stretch. Instead they're they're horrible early and better later on. So who knows? I think the Steelers. uh Yeah, this is gonna be a tough one to handicap. I don't know what I'm gonna pick in on this one here, but I'm I'm pretty nervous about this game, but. All in all, I mean, 4-1 and one with the schedule they've had, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. You know, going through Atlanta and Carolina, getting a win out of those two and being competitive in the other game, I, I, was, I was pretty happy with where, where they're at so far.
2: All right. I'll, that, I'll throw in two, two more two more quick observations. Okay. One, David Njoku who's going to be big. I think a lot of people are on him, but Shard Higgins is hurt. And Landry's. you know, he's good, but he's just a possession guy mostly. Callaway looks like a bust. I think Njoku is going to be big in this offense and then finally uh kareem hunt i think this is a problem with the receiving i think the problem is that kansas city is, is too good yeah they just don't game flow is just he'll get his carries but for him to be really dynamic like they need to be playing from behind they need to throw to him a lot and they did that one game against uh against denver, against denver when they were behind that's exactly what happened but the game flow is, is hurting kareem hunt's fantasy value
1: yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, that was the one game flow where they had to play catch-up. So that that might be you right be right. Maybe about this that. week in New England on Monday night. That's going to be a good game. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of that? Have you looked ahead and seen that line yet? I looked at the line,
2: yeah. Okay. I guess I'm the line. I'm going to like, guess it's still New England minus three. That's what I guessed, and that's where I said it. And it's actually three and a half. New England is favored by three and a half, at least as of Monday okay, night. Not much of it. I mean, that hook is big. But no, but, but that's big. The, the, the book is saying on Monday night in New England, the Chiefs are getting a little extra hook. And that's pretty interesting. The Chiefs are 5-0. and The Patriots lost to you know, some, to Jacksonville, and they lost to the Lions. And yet they're the one who's more favored, you know, more than the straight three, against the 5-0 and Chiefs. It's very interesting.
1: The respective right. primetime records of each team probably suggest that that's not an error, though. So we'll see. Last time they played in primetime, the Chiefs beat them. I do remember that. I do, do recall that.
2: Some of Our, us may have even had the Pats and Survivor that, that day.
1: Yeah. And, and in, some, in one case, I actually accidentally had the Chiefs and Survivor. That was hilarious. But uh, I was one of two people that picked the Chiefs in that SCN pool. I was like, oh, oh, I'm screwed. Because, you know, they sent out the email. Well, two intri- brave souls took the Chiefs. <laughs> I'm like, oh,
2: F, ah. I can't do anything <laughs> about it either. Oh. Real man fails upward
1: into the Chiefs. Yes, that's right. I that was the Ron Rivera of Survivor Pools that week. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll finish off on that. Thanks to Fantasy Draft for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you uh liked our podcast, or even if you don't, you want to just have good information at, at, handy for you there. And you don't already subscribe to Rotowire? Go to rotowire.com slash pod. Get that free 10-day trial. Get access to Chris Liss's East Coast offense, my value meter rankings, Kevin Payne's free agent article. Uh, you get uh, Mario Puig's game capsules. They're fantastic. Uh, Luke Hoover's exploiting the matchups. All sorts of good features. And in addition to our player news, if you're studying for that basketball draft, we've got all our NBA draft kit all ready for you there too. rotowire.com slash pod. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with Talking Gang again next week.